it was so good yesterday. It's just just really nice to see people actually in person. Yeah. You're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Newnham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome back. You are listening to I Might Be Wrong, and this week it's myself, Rich, and Henry. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, actually. The sun is shining still, and yeah. uh, I've had my coffee, so life is uh, running faster <laughs> than normal. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right delighted that we've got to a point of lockdown where we can actually meet up in small groups and see friends so it was lovely to see you and your wife and a couple other friends from a distance yesterday it was good wasn't it it's uh it's starting to um it's starting to get better but it's weird not doing the whole handshake hug thing miss that yeah yeah the the whole it's the bit where you get to the end of the afternoon and people are leaving and your body starts automatically to go for the hug and you're like nope (laughs) Not allowed. Not yes. But yeah, so things are things are getting better. It's nice and I like it. And this weather can stick around for as long as it likes. Let's hope so, it does. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's been a couple of weeks since your your last choice, but it's your turn to pick an album and an artist. So who are we who are we discussing this week? We're going back to nineteen ninety eight this week to discuss Morchiba's Big Calm. What a fantastic album that is. It is a fantastic album. It holds a special place in my heart, and it probably holds a special place in lots of people's hearts. Yeah, it it's a classic. I think it's a classic trip-hop album. It is, and I was thinking about this. I went back and had a listen to it when you mentioned that you wanted to do it, and it definitely is a trip-hop album. There's, n- there's no argument about that, but what's fascinating about it to me is that a lot of the trip hop that I listened to in that mid to late 90s early thousands period was quite menacing and paranoid and it's musically quite dark and Morchiba they have an element of that and their their debut album certainly has a lot of that but this album doesn't feel like that does it it doesn't and I think that's why some people got annoyed with them so the enemy hated them when they released Big Calm they were like oh you mainstream coffee table wannabes and you're you're not a real trip-hop artist so i can see where they're coming from but i think they're idiots i think this is an absolute classic album i mean it's the enemy they are idiots (laughs) (laughs) not not all of them i used to i used to read enemy a fair bit as a teenager and it was it was a good way of finding new bands and new acts and that kind of stuff but i find the same thing with pitchfork now in that if pitchfork give an album a shitty review i'll tend to ignore it if they give an album a really great review i'll go and listen to it but i won't make my mind up based on them slating someone yeah i think an interesting have you ever read the quietus yeah um, bits and pieces they don't do um marks out of 10 they won't rank an album they'll just discuss it and i quite like that it's a little bit less they don't find the need to rate something because of someone's personal preference but if they don't rate it, how am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we're not rating our stuff. The whole point of this is that we don't shit on artists and albums. It's all about the positive, uplifting side of music, the stuff that we really enjoy and that other people enjoy. Exactly. So, yeah, so th- this album got me in a big way back in 98. So I listened to it when it first came out. And as we've discussed before, I was well into the pop punk indie bands we've discussed many on this pod already 
And I have also mentioned the CD player in my sixth form, which had a queue of CDs lined up against it. And so you had to respect the CD queue. And one day this album plopped onto the table called Big Calm and and I saw it there and hadn't heard of the band. So the CDs moved forward and it came on. And my initial reaction was, what is this shit? There are no guitars and there's no angst and it's not noisy. And the album finished. And I just thought, you know what? I kind of like it and I kind of hate myself for liking it because I, you know, <laughs> you, you know, when you're in a, in a phase where you feel like you should like a, a style of music and you can't like anything else. I was really into that when I was young and my mind had not been expanded, but Mortiva started to expand my mind. And so when it next came onto the CD player, I was like, actually, I want this to be played because it's such different music to the music I was used to hearing. I think you're right. There's certainly an element of, I guess, tribalism about genres, particularly when you're in your teens, you're into these bands and these specific types of music and everyone had their tribe that they listened to certain styles of music together. And and I certainly was much more of an indie kid than anything else. So that Britpop stuff was, was the mainstay of what I listened to. I'm genuinely not sure how I ended up listening to it. I suspect that it was a friend who decided to put it on a house party or the morning after a house party or something like that. And it just, it had just seeped into my consciousness over time. And it it is a fascinating album, particularly for, I grew up amongst a group of late teens kids who we drank was the main thing. There are a couple of the group that were into cannabis, one, one or two that were into mushrooms and that kind of stuff. But generally we were a boozy group, but this is not a boozy album. It's a, smoking weed album it's a magic mushrooms album and so finding that when you don't really hang out with those kind of people is kind of an interesting place to then go it's funny you say that so the the name more chiba so more is middle of the road chiba's popular slang for cannabis and the band we should probably explain who they are you've got two brothers ross and paul godfrey and the lead singer sky edwards of the brothers when you see read interviews with them drugs were kind of a big part of their lifestyle growing up especially with the brothers i think they met sky edwards at a party but the brothers definitely had quite a kind of hippie background i don't know if you know about how they how they started yeah so i did a little bit of research on on this side of things and there's there's so many drug related stories about them partying as Morchiba, but it sort of seems to seed with there's an anecdote on on one interview that I read with a quote from Ross Godfrey, where he says, when I was a kid, I used to listen to my dad's Jimi Hendrix records and I'd look at pictures of him and think he looks awful. And they'd say, yeah, it's because he used to do so many drugs. That's why his music was so good. This was when I was about 12. I was like, right, I need to find some LSD to do because it makes you a better musician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and this is where this album is. Well, it's one of those special albums that it seems to have been composed on drugs in five minutes. And they've said they've never tried it again. The whole of Big Calm was done with the three of them. Just I saw a, a quote saying they were, I don't know what drug they were on, but they had vodka, some drugs, and they just started writing in in one evening. And then really the, the nucleus of the album was formed then. And, and they really just built on top of basically a, a drunken drug fueled night out which it sort of has that feel to it doesn't it you you have tracks that are dreamy and poppy and quite upbeat and and almost hazy in the way that they sound and then you've got these 
slightly paranoid moments as well in there. It definitely feels like an entire experience as an album rather than something that's been written track by track over time and then pieced together. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, these guys were young. So Ross was 18, Paul was 22. They just about scrabbled enough cash together to get some strings to start giving the album a little bit more depth. And then we've got to mention, they bumped into Sky Edwards at a party and and her voice, that's pretty much what makes the album for me. What a voice. It's like honey and it's like a giant hug and... How can you not like listening to that? Oh, it's she's got an incredible voice. And what what's insane is that at the time she was doing backing vocals for a funk band. How is someone like that doing backing vocals? There's an amazing story from one of the brothers. Apparently, George Michael walked into their recording studio in a when they were recording a later album. And he said, how did you get that sound from Become? How did Sky's voice sound so good? What What was the mic that you used to record that on? And they pointed to this shitty 50 quid mic sitting in the corner and said, we just put it through that. She just sang into it. And George Michael was like, what? That's just her voice. And there's nothing. There's there's no bells and whistles. They're not putting it through a vocoder or digitally enhancing it afterwards. She's just got an amazing voice. Just immensely talented. Yeah. And also the way that she composes the harmonies as well. That was all just off the cuff. So the brothers would create the music and they wrote the lyrics, but how the lyrics and the the melodies and the harmonies would fit together. They gave it to her and she basically said, takes me five minutes, listen to the song. I read the lyrics. (laughs) I'll sing along to it in the kind of way I think it should go. And it just works. So, yeah, the whole album is one of those little inspirational flashes in the pan and they never really recreated it. There's some incredible harmonies on there as well. I think it's Bulletproof or Shoulder Holster. One of the two has an incredible harmony track on there that just blows me away every time I hear it. The number of songs in there with little hooks in are just amazing. We should probably start with The Sea because that's the first song on the album. It's probably the most well-known Back in 1999, it was the theme tune for Shipwrecked, which in the UK was a <laughs> was a big thing. And it was a bit like Big Brother, but on an island. And lots of the public were watching it. And I think that just helped the record's success. Big Calm was already, it was a slow burner to start with. So it barely got into the top 20, I think, in the album charts. And then album sales just got bigger and bigger and bigger as they were as people were introduced to it and i think that track's been used on a number of commercial things it does have commercially appealing sound but still has complexity and layers and it, and is a genuinely wonderful brilliant piece of songwriting as well yeah i, I think that's what mochiba at their height are good at is finding that pop sound but with depth blindfold is one of my favorite tracks on the album it's this mix of harmony there's a little bit of sinister tones about their music that floats around in the background which i can't really work out and i don't know whether that's the mushrooms kicking in and freaking people out but there is this undercurrent which isn't so popular and i think what happened in the later albums is they went really pop and all of the slight creepiness in the background disappeared so i don't know whether in losing that that undertone they lost their fans because i was one of the many people who bought the following album which was fragments of freedom yeah which is their best-selling album and it was just a bit poppy and i didn't really like it i've i've got it don't really listen to it very much 
yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day was a really big hit off that album and and that is a great tune I really I really like that as a song but you're right there there was that move into a much more pop sensibility in that you can hear the progression across those first three albums and they were seen as sellouts basically in the UK but that actually didn't stop them from being popular abroad there's a lot of places elsewhere where more Chiba's popularity kind of started to heighten even as their UK popularity waned and and I didn't really pay any attention to any of their newer stuff until Blaze Away which I saw a couple of years ago 2018 is when that came out and I listened to bits of it and I sort of remembered it more from the album cover than from the songs which probably isn't a good sign but there there is some good stuff on there bits and pieces here and there and then I went back to listen to a bit of Head Up High and there's a couple of tracks on there that are great but a lot of it just has a bit of that bland pop feeling to it and it didn't it didn't grab me in the way that I hoped it would do other than a track called Release Me Now which is a bit of a banger. I felt the same way their Chirango album is one that I listened to a few times, didn't really get on with, but there's a little track in the middle of it called Way Beyond. And it's almost like a big calm track that's been taken out of there and stuck on its own in this little island of Mortiva this. And it's got the classic Mortiva chorus, which feels like it's from the the Big Calm album. But yeah, since, since Big Calm, they didn't really get together. I think it sounds like from 1998 to, what, 2002, they were just touring. And they toured and toured and toured. They were starting to get successful. And I think it just really broke the band apart. So Sky Edwards left in 2003 and the band carried on. But they're not more cheaper without Sky. Even though they'll stick the label on it, the albums that were recorded since then with other vocalists, I don't in my head think of that as a more cheaper album. No. It's like imagining Radiohead without Tom York's voice. It would probably be interesting musically, but without him and his inventiveness and his voice, just there's a big hole there and she left a massive gap when she left. But she went off and did her own solo stuff and then came back in 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah. And apparently when she came back, she was much more involved in the actual songwriting because she had then gained that confidence of doing her own thing. Yeah, and I think now they're they're all friends they're always it's all it's all a happy family again and they're recording as Mortiva. the brother suggested that it wasn't an acrimonious thing when she left it was just the fact that they needed time apart from each other and it sounds like they were quite a self-destructive band when they were touring like there's this almost this pride in how fucked up they would get during and after shows and the fact that they apparently their tour manager got ill on one tour and just just for like one or two dates and they had primal screams tour manager they took him out and had like a medium level of heavy (laughs) nights and he was so broken they had to carry him onto the tour bus afterwards and they were like but you're primal screams tour manager how have we managed to break this guy yeah you know what i hate to try and say that drugs are great but they do seem to make great music when drugs are used in conjunction with musicians um there's a brilliant anecdote of one of their times at Glastonbury when I was there is so in 2000s when they played the jazz world stage. And when I was at Glastonbury, I wouldn't go near the jazz world stage because I was an indie kid and I was like, Oh, I need to go to the pyramid stage or the other stage or something, but not the jazz world stage, even though I saw more Chiva on the bill and I missed this brilliant anecdote. So I didn't see them, even though I knew that they were there. 
but it sounds like Ross Godfrey decided to um, line up a whole string of magic mushrooms all across his pedal board. And after each song, he would eat one. And so he worked his way through a whole stack of magic mushrooms, was completely tripping balls by the end of the set. They then had to fly to Los Angeles, I think it was, because they had a gig at the Hollywood Bowl. And he ended up tripping on a flight, drinking champagne, jetting out to L.A., where they start performing in front of thousands of people. I think Bruce Springsteen was in the audience or something. But yeah, these guys were pretty heavy on the drug scene and must have been quite fun to follow them around. It's uh, an interesting bunch. So talking about seeing them live, I did actually see them that summer. I went to V Festival. It was my first ever festival in 2000. Very excited to get away with a bunch of mates and, and go and drink in a field and watch live music. And they were on the bill and they played a late afternoon, I think, main stage set that was wonderful. It was a sunny day. You know, those bands that are just perfect for those late afternoon sunny sets at a festival. Yeah. They are absolutely up there as one of the best sets I've seen at that time of a festival. And and they were wonderful. And you you would never have known based on how great they sounded they were fantastic and i guess if you can take that much drugs and still sound amazing on stage then why the hell not why the hell not yeah i i had a similar experience at glastonbury with uh counting crows in a similar time slot it was like the, the what the six o'clock or the seven o'clock one in the middle of june and i was drunk and counting crows just came on and played this 45 minute set on the pyramid stage and it was just brilliant and i don't know whether it was the booze or the counting crows just being amazing but their style of music just fits with the sun going down and everyone being chilled out yeah so we've mentioned the sea and blindfold are there any any other tracks that people should go and listen to from this album yeah well it's an interesting one because this album jumps between almost ballads and more trip hoppy tracks my personal preference is to towards the more melodious songs so i mentioned blindfold already part of the process is obviously another classic of theirs but all the way at, right at the back of the album probably another joint favorite is fear and love now that's a slightly less standard more cheaper song than normal it's um it's quite sad it's the kind of song that will make kind of grown men cry when you play it at full volume and it's a special one i don't know about you i don't know where they where that ranks on your list that was definitely one I had down as a as a one to talk about. It's it's again just a really great song. And I do think there's an element with this album that I feel like other than the C part of the process, um, maybe Fear and Love. There's nothing on here that I would say is like a punch you in the face standout track. It just weaves mm. its way through the album in a really beautiful way and it works as a whole piece of music and that's that's part of the reason why i love it yeah i reckon that's probably because it was all recorded pretty much at the same time i don't think anything was recorded later from my notes but it does sound like it's all a similar style you know they wrote the whole lot before they released their debut album because they didn't want to have difficult second album syndrome it's genius isn't it (laughs) that's the that's the solution to all of bands problems is you get your brilliant album in the can then stick it under the mattress and then your all your woes are over you can you can turn up with the second album as the as the banger 
<laughs> there and it is. There was another good anecdote, actually, just to finish on, where um, where apparently at a festival in Scandinavia, they met Wheatus of teenage dirtbag fame. And I think the, the lead singer of Wheatus was, had just come off stage and he had performed to a completely nonplussed crowd who just didn't give a shit about any of the songs and were standing around chatting and facing away from the stage. And then Wheatus played Teenage Dirtbag and the whole crowd started jumping up and down. So the lead singer comes off feeling a bit dejected because he's got this incredible one song and all of his other work, which he's just put just as much passion and energy into, has been completely rejected by everyone. And he goes to Ross Godfrey and says, look, is it is it really this tough? You've been in the industry much longer than I have. Tell me it gets better. And he basically said, no. <laughs> Looked at the Wheatus guy and was like, nah, buddy, you're uh, you're probably going to be a one-hit wonder forever. And I think even Mortiba themselves say they, they'd never got, had that problem. They didn't become a one-hit wonder band because all of their songs were kind of a similar standard. It's a bit like you said, where there isn't a standout song on the album. The Sea is really their biggest standout. And just because of the way that evolved, the fact that it wasn't a big hit at the time it sort of it kind of crept into people's consciousness and slowly grew over time so they never had that big wave and then the kind of pressure to follow it up yeah i backpacked around the world to Mortiba, and sky edward's voice just sat in my head for many many hours on many boring coach journeys and flights and and actually it was one of the global albums that you always bumped into so I'd be at a bus in America and then I'd be in Indonesia and someone would stick on Big Calm and the whole backpacking chain of people all around the world, everyone was listening to Mochi because it just sat in the middle of, it was just nice to listen to and you could be a stoner or a metalhead and everyone would be like, yeah, it's fine, just put on Mochi it's all good. It's that perfect traveling music as well because you you know if you've had a big night the night before or if you've like you say you've got a long journey or even if you're just chilling out at a hostel in an afternoon waiting for you know whatever you're going to do that evening it can almost waft over you it's not hard work musically in the way that some of the stuff we've talked on the podcast can be yeah exactly so it's trip hop bokey it's bluesy it's a wonderful thing and if you don't know it you should go and listen to it so is there is there other stuff that you got into after Morchiba or were they more of like a, a standalone part of your music taste that you haven't explored further? Totally standalone. So the Bristol trip hop scene was big where when I was at school. So you had your Portis heads, massive attack that were a little bit, as you say, more edgy. Morchiba were this friendlier, poppier album and and there was nothing else. So to this day if I want that kind of an album to listen to, I'll just pick up Big Hum and put it on. There isn't really, I guess, Groove Armada did a, did some similar stuff to that, but it wasn't as chilled out. Yeah, so Groove Armada was more dancey rather than trip-hop. One of the anecdotes that I read was that the Godfrey's deliberately wrote a more upbeat album with the 2013 effort because they were fed up with going on stage and playing stuff at 70 BPM and they wanted something <laughs> that was a bit more upbeat. <laughs> really doesn't surprise me. But that's the thing. That sound isn't the same. Groove Armada have, they're much more upbeat and dancing. They're absolutely fantastic live. I love, I love some of their stuff, but much more of it is upbeat. And the bands that I think 
I would put in that bracket of the more chilled out electronica. So Zero Seven, yeah. Air, those kind of bands. They're much more, they're not trip hop. They're much more electronica, almost pure electronica rather than that kind of mix of the two. Yeah, well, that opens up a whole new catalogue of, of music, which we haven't really discussed yet. I mean, Air, for example, kind of albums all over the place, which are amazing. But I wouldn't consider this, again, Big Calm is off to one side. It sits in its own little pocket, whereas you, there's a whole host of electronica to another side where I've got some albums which we should probably discuss. But no, I think Big Calm just sits on its own, in its own little happy place. Yeah, fair enough. I think I think for me, it's Big Calm sits at the end of a trip-hop journey where I got into a lot of that stuff all at the same time through friends that were listening to Portishead and I'd found left field and there were a bunch of other stuff and they were sort of the more chilled out easy listening version of that that was summer day version rather than the at night in the dark version yeah yeah that does yeah. does make sense um, I think I think it's fair enough to suggest that they sort of sit by themselves because they do I think a lot of the trip hop world wouldn't have touched the more poppy sound because they felt like it was a bit of a sellout move and pop never really pulled trip hop into the sounds that were going on then so yeah they do sort of sit alone there yeah i'm i'm a massive fan i just love the quote from ross godfrey in one of the interviews i think it's the quietest read that whole article in full it's very very good just his line about puff daddy ruining hip-hop <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant and actually it's a light bulb moment it's like you know what i think you might be right yeah yeah potentially and on that note i think we should probably wrap up you can come and find us at I Might Be Wrong UK. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Come and chat to us. Tell us about your more cheaper experiences and how you found them, because I'm sure most people listening to this podcast will know exactly what we're talking about. Thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.